Well, it is Easter, of course, and so thinking of the sermon and the topic, very naturally we're going to be looking at Christ, of course. We're going to be looking at his resurrection. We're even going to sort of rewind a few days and go back to Good Friday in a sense, and we certainly had a great service here on Good Friday, just sort of reading through the the passion narrative, the passion of Christ, of course, culminating in his death, his burial, but now it's Easter. We certainly celebrate his resurrection, but we want to talk about the death as well. They're sort of very naturally intertwined, so we're going to be focusing on Christ this morning. We're going to be focusing on what he did on the cross and through his resurrection And to put it simply, I sort of talked about this a little bit with the kids and the children's message, but to put it simply, as we think of the death of of Christ, as as we think of his resurrection, what's really going on there is that there's this great battle, this great war that is taking place. And I think for for many in our world today, they might say, okay, I understand this this about Jesus, that he died, that he he rose from the dead. But I think for a lot of them, if you ask them, well, what what was going on there? Why did Jesus die? Why did he rise from the dead? What is taking place? What's sort of the significance of it all? I think they'd sort of scratch their heads for many many in our world today and say, you know, I I don't really know. I don't really understand. And I'm sure for many of you, you know, you understand. You've been followers of the Lord for quite some time. But I really want to dig deep and say, well, what is going on there? What is going on through the death, through the resurrection of Christ? Because it's so significant. It changes everything. And as I said, it is this great battle between Christ on the one hand, Jesus on the one hand, and on the other hand, sin, this great oppressor of mankind that we have been stuck in, sort of held captive by, going all the way back. We know the story all the way back to Adam and Eve When they ate that fruit, they disobeyed God, right? Of course, we know the story of the fall, and ever since then we have been mankind trapped in our sin, no way out on our own, rightfully under God's judgment. But of course, what happens is Christ says, hey, I'm going to come. I'm going to deal with this great oppressor of yours, this sin problem. I'll deal with it. I'll wage war against sin And we know ultimately what the outcome is, sort of a spoiler, I know, but we know where we're going with the sermon, ultimately how it ends, and of course Christ is triumphant, he's victorious, right, he triumphs over sin, over death, right, he fully pays for the penalty of sin, takes our place, takes the weight of our punishment, the wrath of God, he satisfies the wrath of God, fully pays for our sin, and rises from the grave, triumphant. And of course, we who trust in Christ have a share in that victory and receive through faith in him, of course, we receive forgiveness and life everlasting. But let's take a look at the scriptures. As I said, we're sort of going to start, sort of logically going through chronologically in a sense. We're going to start by looking at the death of Christ. Uh, And as I said, we sort of read through that whole story, that whole narrative just on Good Friday, so I won't do that again. But a great verse that really sort of summarizes what the cross is all about is found in 1 John, so you can flip open your Bibles there. 1 John chapter 4, and it's verse 10. Again, 1 John 4, 10. And I'll read this for us, and John, of course, writing here. And he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Right? This is basically telling us what's taking place on the cross, that in love, of course, right, he went to the cross, but what took place there? Well, basically, he made atonement for our sins. That's what it says, right? But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what Jesus did, right? We rightfully deserve punishment. We've sinned against God. We've uh, committed crimes, in a sense, against God, and we rightfully deserve punishment. That's sort of the bad news of the gospel, but the good news, of course, is the story doesn't end there. If God wanted to, he could have ended the story there and said, you know, this mankind, I'm sort of done with mankind. Let him have what he deserves and cast us into hell and leave it at that. But no, God relentlessly pursues mankind in love, and what does he do? He says, hey, I'll send my son, right? I'm a, I'm a just judge. Someone has to pay for this sin, for these crimes that you've committed against me, but he says, I'm not going to make you pay for your own sin. I'm not going to punish you for your own sin, but he says, rather, I'll send my son. He'll take your place. He'll sort of stand in the place of sinful man. I'll put your sin upon him, and he will take that penalty. He will take the punishment that you deserve, the very wrath of God. And so that's, of course, what happens. Christ takes our place as he's hanging there on the cross, takes our sin, takes our punishment, and fully pays for our sin. He in full satisfies the wrath of God, pays for our, our sin, pays that penalty, makes atonement for our sin so that all who ultimately come to saving faith in Christ, who turn from their sinfulness, repent of their ways and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you, I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins and I want to follow you. For whoever does that, they are indeed forgiven. Christ has paid the penalty for them, their sin is atoned for, and they receive forgiveness and life of course, life everlasting. But now I want to say, okay, we look at, at the cross and what's taking place there, but then to say, well, we know it sort of doesn't end there in a sense, right? Of course, he doesn't stay dead. It's not that Jesus goes to the cross, he dies and, and sort of stays dead, and that's that. But of course, he rises from the grave, and we know this. And so let's take a look at one of those accounts. We certainly see it in all the Gospels, but we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of John, and this is chapter 20, and it's verses 1 through 18. I'll give you a moment to flip there if you're not there already. It's John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And here's what it says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, we're talking about John here, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, stepped separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I sort of want to nuance that translation a little bit. If you even just render it more literally, it says, they still had not understood from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so what John's saying here is, up until this point, basically the disciples, they didn't really get it, right? They didn't really understand that this is what Jesus had to do, that he had to go to a cross, that he had to die, that he came to rescue mankind in that way. 
and then after dying, of course, that he had to rise from the dead. And so up until this point, it's sort of like they just didn't get it. They didn't fully understand. And finally, for John here, it's like light bulb. He gets it. Finally, it clicks. And so as it says, finally, the other disciple, John here, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Finally, I get it. I remember all those times that Jesus pretty much explicitly said he was going to go and die and then rise from the dead. Uh, somehow that didn't really click the first time for them because they had different expectations of who the Messiah would be, what he would do, that he would reign in maybe a more mainstream way and overthrow the Roman Empire. So they didn't really see death as, as part of the role of the Messiah here. So it certainly perplexed them when it happened. But finally here, as John sees this, it's like, oh, I get it. I understand. Finally. And then as it reads on, verse 10 here, then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Apparently nobody wanted to let her know what was sort of going on here, right? You'd think, John, it would have been nice for you to sort of let Mary in on the loop with what was going on here, but no, they left her there sort of outside crying. I always wonder about that, but they could have been gracious and let her know, but. So Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord and she told them that he had said these things to her. So sort of having read this story, the account of the resurrection, right, what do we see? Of course, we see, well, Jesus rose from the dead. But sort of we want to talk about, well, what's, what's the significance of this? And here's the significance, right? If we sort of think logically, right, if, about what took place on the cross, what's sort of going on there, Jesus is fighting this battle against sin, right? He has, of course, taken our place. He's taken uh, the punishment that we rightfully deserve. If we just sort of think logically, right, if he truly has accomplished that, if he has really taken our place, taken our sin, and has fully made atonement for sin, he's fully paid that penalty, made atonement for sin, it's done. Well, if we recognize, well, what's the consequence, what's sort of the natural punishment for sin? Well, it's, it's death in, in every sense. It's physical death, it's spiritual death, and a separation from God, and it's ultimately eternal death. So in a word, death is the consequence. Well, if he's done away with sin, if he has been victorious in dealing with sin and making full atonement for sin, well, then death can't continue in his case. He's triumphed over it, right? So sin no longer having any hold on him or for any who are found in him, of course, well, how can we possibly stay dead since death is a consequence of sin? And so the only logical and sort of, in a sense, necessary result of truly making full atonement for sin is, of course, that no longer would death reign in his case, but that he would rise 
from the dead, of course. And so the reality is, well, if he rises from the dead, then we know surely he did accomplish what he said he would accomplish on the cross. Surely he did pay for our sins in full. He fully accomplished that atoning work on the cross. And that then means for us that there is true forgiveness, atonement found in him and life in him. But if on the flip side, right, if it had been the case, this wasn't the case, but if it had been the case that no, he had stayed dead, right, then you would sort of think about it and say, well, if he stays dead and he doesn't rise from the grave, well, then that must mean that sin still has a hold on him, right, and death, its consequence, its punishment, which means he hasn't fully paid for our sin, he hasn't fully made atonement for sin, and then therefore, what does that mean for me if my sin isn't paid for, if he hasn't made atonement for sin? Well, then we're still in awfully deep trouble and we're still stuck in our sin and held captive by it and have in store for us eternal punishment rather than eternal life. And so as we think about, about the resurrection, it is this great, victorious, glorious, victorious uh, action, but also declaration, of course, that indeed it has been accomplished, that Christ really has truly paid the penalty for our sins, that he has truly and fully made atonement and that life is offered in him. And I sort of, before we move on to the next step of the sermon, where I want to go from here, I do in a sense want to recap. Sort of we've, we've looked at, at Christ, we've looked at sort of his death, his, his resurrection, and as I said, I think this is something that so many in our world know about, right, as the Christian faith is, is predominant, certainly it's widespread all across the world, and, and people know a little bit of, yeah, there was this guy, Jesus, he lived a long time ago, and what do those Christians say about him? He died, he rose from the grave. But for so many people, they don't really understand, even for people who would identify as Christians, don't really understand, well, what's that about? Why did he even do that? Why did he die? Why did he rise from the grave? And they said, we've talked about that now. We've sort of established he went to the cross to wage war on sin. He took our place. He paid for our sin. He made atonement for sin, of course. He was victorious in all of this, and he rose from the grave. And all who believe in him have a share in his victory over sin. They themselves, in their cases, have victory over sin. Their sin is paid for in Christ's atoning work. And, of course, then through faith in Christ, we have forgiveness. We have reconciliation with God. We have eternal life, true salvation. But then sort of where I want to go from here is to say the reality is, in a sense, I, I like to think of all of us as, as sort of like John, if we think of the story here in the Gospel of John. We're all ultimately confronted with the cross and with the empty tomb. As we think about the story of John here, right, he hears news, right, oh, the tomb's empty, the stone's been rolled away, it's empty, and he sort of books it there, you know, Peter maybe he's not in quite his great shape, he sort of lags behind, but John gets there for, first, and there he is, he's sort of, you know, he's kind of right at the entrance, sort of peeks into the tomb, and is probably, you can imagine, just sort of processing it all before he actually steps in and then ultimately believes. But he's sort of taking it all in, and in a sense, we're all like John, we're sort of there, peering into the empty tomb, and the question is, how are we ultimately going to respond, right? Sort of, what are we going to do with it? This, this confrontation with the empty tomb, right? We're proclaimed, of course, that Christ died, that he rose from, from the dead, that he rose from the grave, and sort of, how are we going to respond? Uh, ultimately, the reality is, well, there's two choices. Either you're going to believe, you're going to say, yes, I believe, Lord Jesus, you came, you died, you rose from the dead, you triumphed over sin, you made atonement for sin, and, and I believe in you, and I, I repent of my sinfulness, I turn toward you, I want to follow you, I trust in you for forgiveness, right? That's one response, and that person will be forgiven and saved and have life everlasting with God, of course. 
or there's the other response, which is not to believe, to say, no, you know, for one reason or another, I just, I'm not going to believe that. I refuse to believe that, and I'm going to go on my way disregarding the cross, disregarding the empty tomb, and of course, that doesn't lead anywhere good but to rightful, just punishment. But the reality in our world is certainly there are people who've never really been confronted with the truth of the gospel. They don't really understand it. They don't know it. But there are also plenty of people who've heard the gospel. They, they know what scripture says about Christ, about the cross, about what he did for us. And yet for so many, they refuse to believe. Rather than following John's leading and sort of peering into the empty tomb, and then finally it's like, I get it, and I believe. Instead, their response is, no, you know, uh, for one reason or another, right, I have some sort of hang up with this Christian gospel all about Christ and what he supposedly did for us. I have some sort of hang up with that, and for whatever reason, I will not believe. And what I want to talk about and sort of dive into a little bit deeper is sort of what are those hang-ups for many in our world, in our culture, and particularly I'm sort of going to be focusing on the Western world. So think of the U.S. or Europe, sort of that, that Western culture. And what are the typical hang-ups as people are sort of confronted with the truth of the gospel? What are those things that prevent people from saying, I believe and I give my life to you and I want to follow you all of my days Lord Jesus. And I think probably the first thing that we would go to, but I actually think we're wrong to think of this as the biggest obstacle, the biggest hang up with the gospel, but I want to talk about it first because I think it's probably where our minds would go first, is we think, oh, you know, we live in this scientific age and surely the biggest hang up for people with the gospel is just sort of the supernatural or miraculous. You know, can I really believe that this Jesus rose from the dead? You know, hey, I've been around for a little while. I've never seen someone rise from the grave. I haven't seen it happen. Can I really believe that? Or even just thinking of other stories in scriptures, in scripture, you know, Noah's Ark or you name it. You know, can I really believe those types of things? Because, oh, I don't see that happening in daily life all around me. And I'd say that's sort of where our minds would go to first is that that has to be the biggest obstacle for people. But I'd say that it, it really isn't, and sort of here's, here's where I'm going with this and why I think that it's the case, is that people all around us, even in our, our Western culture, are happy to believe in all sorts of other spiritual, supernatural things. Uh, certainly, you see all sorts of new agey stuff that's become popular in our culture, or Eastern religions. Uh, and so people are perfectly happy in many ways to believe in all sorts of supernatural things. You can even turn on the TV, and I wish this weren't the case, but you can flip through the guide and find all sorts of shows about mediums and spiritists and haunted this and that. And people are very much interested in the supernatural and very much willing to consider it as a possibility. And so we can't run to that as sort of the reason why surely that's why people won't believe the gospel, because they just won't believe in that which is sort of outside of the natural, that which is supernatural. And going further, you know, even for that person who sort of has a scientific mind, you know, I like the, the facts and empirical evidence and so forth, I would say that it takes a lot more faith to believe in sorts of things like evolution and so forth. It takes a much greater leap of faith to believe in something like that than to believe in a creator God who made everything and so forth. And so I think in our world and our culture, plenty of people are willing to take leaps of faith. They're willing to believe in the supernatural, but they're not willing to believe in this supernatural, the gospel. They're not willing to believe that Christ really was God the Son, that he came, that he died and rose from the dead in victory. 
And so then the question is, if that's not, don't get me wrong, I think that is a hang-up for some people. So I'm not trying to overly minimize that and say nobody has an issue with that. It is certainly a hang-up for some people, but I'd say it isn't really the greatest hang-up, the greatest obstacle for people in our world and our culture, culture to coming to faith uh, in Christ. But rather, I'd say the biggest obstacle, certainly if you want to use just one word, you'd say it's sin. Of course, it's sin, and that's the obstacle that people have, the sin in their lives to coming to faith. But I want to be a little bit more specific than that. And I'd say it's not that people feel like they can't believe something because it's just too hard to believe. But rather, I think it's more that they don't want to believe the gospel. And you might think about that and say, hey, Pastor Steve, I don't know. The gospel sounds pretty wonderful, right? It's good news. That's what gospel means. It's wonderful. What is there not to like about the gospel, right? Of course, God coming and rescuing us from our, our sin problem and offering us everlasting life, right? Why would someone not like that? But I'd say that there are other elements of the gospel message that people sort of push back on, and they just don't want to believe because they just don't like it. And so plain and simple, I'd say that we'll sort of dive into that a little bit more specifically, but plain and simple, I think the biggest obstacle to people coming to faith in Christ is just that they don't want to believe, plain and simple. It's not that they feel like it's too hard to believe, they just don't want it to be true. And I want to be a little bit more specific, and not that I'm being, uh, just covering every single potential obstacle here, uh, but I'm sort of highlighting a few that I think are major. I'd say I'd, these are some of the major obstacles that people have to coming faith to faith in Christ and believing the truth of the gospel. Uh, and one of them is this, and it's sort of the starting place for the gospel. The starting place, in a sense, is really the bad news that sort of comes before the good news. And the bad news is, well, we're all sinners. We're all sinful, we're all broken, we're all wretched creatures who are in need of saving. And I think in our world, and we sort of naturally since the fall, we're prideful creatures, and we don't like to hear that about ourselves. It's a tough pill to swallow for many in our world, in our culture, that, hey, you are broken, you are fallen, you are sinful, you are wretched, and you need to be saved. I think there are a lot of people out there who'd say, you know, they'll admit, I'm not perfect, right? Okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm good. You know, I'm a good person. Yeah, maybe every now and then I do something that's not oh so perfect, but, you know, I, I, I got my act together. I'm not doing any of those terrible things. And I don't feel like I need to be saved. I, 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 I'm doing quite well. You know, I've got a good job, a nice house, a wife, the kids. I, I don't need to be saved. Everything's going great. Everything's going fine. So this whole notion of, you know, I'm just oh so awful and terrible and I deserve punishment uh, and I need to be rescued by the Savior, you know, I'm not sure that I believe that. I'm not sure that I want to accept that. And I'd say that's sort of the mindset for many of the people out in our world who, who don't have faith in Christ. This is one of those big hang-ups for them toward the gospel, uh, that they just sort of don't, in pride, don't want to accept that reality. But I'd say that there are other hang-ups as well that I think people routinely have uh, toward the gospel, things that, in a sense, put simply, they don't like about the gospel. And I'd say this could arguably be the biggest one, and I think it's this. Uh, the reality, and this is part of the gospel, that some people, those who trust in Christ, will receive everlasting life. But then that means that some people who don't come to faith in Christ, well, what happens for them? What is their lot, eternally speaking? And it's eternal punishment. And I'd say that in our culture, very much so, people push back against that. They don't like the idea that some people, and usually it's not just that it's this vague idea of there are people out there generally who will go to hell and receive everlasting condemnation for their sin, but usually it's more personal than that. 
It's, are you trying to tell me, if you share the gospel with me, are you trying to tell me that my grandmother, who passed away a few years ago, this isn't for me, I'm creating a hypothetical situation, but that my grandmother, who passed away a few years ago, and hey, I know her, and she didn't believe in Jesus, you're trying to tell me that wonderful, sweet lady is now in hell, receiving punishment forever and ever and ever. And it's just the response is, I have a hard time believing that, I don't want to believe that, and therefore I will not choose to believe that. Or maybe it doesn't just involve someone who's already passed away, but maybe it has to do with, oh, you're telling me that my children, whom I love dearly, if they don't come to faith in Christ, if they choose not to believe, if they choose to reject him, you're telling me that sweet little wonderful child of mine is now going to spend all of eternity in hell being punished forever and ever and ever. And I think the natural response is, for so many people is, I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that. And so I'm just going to choose not to believe. Again, it's not that the hang-up is, it's just so supernatural, the gospel and Jesus and what he did that I can't believe that, but rather it's, no, that's possible. I just don't like the sound of it. I don't like the sound of someone that I love potentially going to hell, uh, and I don't like that, and therefore I refuse to believe it. I'd say that there's another significant hang-up uh, toward believing the gospel and reason why, uh, reason why people just say, hey, I just don't want to believe, I refuse to believe. And it's the reality that if we sort of think of saving faith, right, saving faith isn't just sort of this empty cognitive assent to certain facts about Jesus and who he is, but rather saving faith is certainly characterized also by a, uh, it, it is believing those facts, but it's more than that. It's also characterized by true repentance, right? That's what true saving faith is. It's, it's believing in Jesus, but it's more than just believing certain facts, as even the demons do and shudder, as scripture says. But it's also having this repentant heart saying, you know, no longer do I want to live in sin, but rather I want to live for you, Lord Jesus. I, I, you're my all. You're my everything. I love you above everything else, and I just give my life to you and surrender my life to you. That's what saving faith looks like. And this idea of surrendering our lives to someone else, no longer being the boss of myself, uh, and now living for that other person, God, Christ, of course, right? I think that's something that people don't always love the sound of, right? We like, ever since the fall, since sin entered the world, we like to be our own bosses. We don't want someone telling us what we have to do and how we have to live. We like to be the ones in charge. Or maybe we have certain sins in our, our, our life, right? And hey, we like living in those sins. You know, oh, hey, I like having one night stands here and there and sleeping around or living some other sinful lifestyle. I'm not talking about myself there, of course. Um, no secrets there, Liz, right? Um, but uh, right, for many of those people, it might be that they have sin in their life that they very much want to live in. They very much want to continue living in that sin. And the reality is they don't like the sound of saying, hey, now I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to live for him, and I'm going to have to get rid of these sins in my life, and I'm going to have to honor him with my life and just surrender to him. That doesn't sound like something I want to do, and so therefore I'll choose not to believe the gospel, right? Again, it's not just, oh, it's oh so supernatural, this, telling me this guy died and rose from the dead. That's tough to believe. No, they can believe that. It's just they don't want to all too often because of other implications of the gospel as we just talked about. And I think these reasons, these sort of different hang-ups or obstacles to believing in the gospel are, are awfully significant. 
but before we sort of get there and dive into that a little bit further, I sort of want to recap where we've come so far before we jump into sort of, hey, what's our application? What's our takeaway? It's one thing just sort of to, to understand it all, and that's good to understand things, but we should always have some sort of takeaway and say, you know, how does this impact how I'm now going to live my life? So sort of going back to the beginning, just making sure we know where we've come from. Right, we've talked about Christ's death, the cross. We've talked about his resurrection, the significance of it all, sort of what was going on there, what he did. Of course, making true, full atonement for sin and rising in victory, having conquered sin and its hold on humanity, right? That's what he did. That's why he died. That's, that's why he rose from the dead. But then recognizing, as I talked about in the sense, we're sort of, we're all like John there, sort of peering into the empty tomb. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to believe or not? And, and recognizing that for some, the choice has been to believe, and, and certainly that's cause for celebration. But for so many, the choice has been to say, no, I don't want to believe. And I think there are various reasons for that. Not that I've covered every single possible reason or obstacle to faith in Christ and believing in the gospel. But sort of we talked about some of the biggest ones. And sometimes for people, it is sort of the view of I have a hard time believing supernatural things, but I'd say more than that, it's that there are parts of the gospel that just are offensive to people, that they just don't like, they just don't want to hear, and so they choose. It's not that they can't believe, it's that they just don't want to believe, because they don't like every part of the gospel. But now in a sense to say, okay, so what's our takeaway? Well, I have two application points, one for each different group of people. And I want to start for those who maybe, as I'm talking about this, you might say, hey, that actually sounds an awful, like, an awful lot like me, Pastor Steve. Maybe you're in the situation of you haven't yet come to faith in Christ. You're here for a reason, maybe you're sort of seeking after the Lord, but you have perhaps some sort of little hang-up, you know, there's some sort of obstacle to coming to faith. Maybe it's something that I've talked about here. Uh, maybe it's something else altogether, and I'd say your application, your challenge, and I challenge you in this way lovingly so, because I care about you, and I want to see you enter into God's kingdom. The challenge for you is to really say, whatever that hang-up is, something we've talked about or something else altogether, reevaluate it, and really ultimately be rid of that obstacle, whatever it is, be rid of that obstacle to faith, and ultimately come to faith. Believe in Christ, believe that he died that he paid the penalty for your sins, that he rose from the dead, believe in him, trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, repent of your sinfulness, turn toward him, choose to follow after him, and receive forgiveness. Be saved, receive everlasting life. Make that choice now, that's your challenge, that's your, your, your application for the day. But maybe, and this is probably the case for most of us here, you'd say, hey, I've already done that. So is there an application for me as well? Is there something I can do? And I'd say there is. And this is also where it becomes significant, knowing these, these various hang-ups to faith in the gospel. And I'd say for those of us who've come to faith in Christ already, first of all, celebrate that. Give him thanks for what he's done for you. But then taking it a step further, we, we recognize that those of us who are followers of the Lord have been called to be faithful witnesses for him as well. And so... Wherever we go, we're to bring the gospel message with us. We are to faithfully proclaim it everywhere we go at every opportunity to the lost all around us. Those who are seeking after truth, those who are far from the Lord, we are to faithfully proclaim the truth of the gospel. And we want to make sure that as we do that, that we do it in a very wise and skillful way. Not that ultimately it rests on us and our skill in being a faithful witness for the Lord. Ultimately, it's God who builds up his kingdom, who builds up his church, who changes hearts and leads people into his kingdom, of course. But that doesn't give an excuse to us to be poor in how we share the gospel. But rather, we want to be wise, we want to be skillful. 
And the reality is if we're going to be skillful and wise in how we share the gospel, then we need to know the person we're sharing with. And we need to know what hang-up, or maybe it's multiple hang-ups, whatever the obstacles that person has to coming to faith in Christ, we need to know what those obstacles are, rather than just assuming that they have some sort of obstacle, and then the way in which we present the gospel sort of highlights some sort of misconception we have about what their, their obstacle to faith is. But rather, we need to take the time to get to know the people we're sharing with, to understand, to actually bother to listen and hear from them what's holding them back from coming to faith in Christ. What is their obstacle to faith? What is their hang up, and then to share the gospel in light of that, really giving special attention uh, to that concern, that, that obstacle that person has to faith in Christ, and really highlighting that issue and sharing the faith with that person, with that obstacle to faith in mind. Whatever that might be, whether it's they have a hard time believing the supernatural things uh, in the Bible and in the gospel, well then we lay out the evidence to support it, right? So we share the faith with that obstacle in mind. Or maybe it's one of these other obstacles. Maybe it's the one where, well, they just have a hard time accepting that, that they're oh so awful and sinful and wretched and that they need saving. Well, maybe the reason they think they're good enough is because they've set the bar low and their view of good enough is, well, as long as my good outweighs the bad, then if there really is a God, I'll probably be acceptable in his sight. But instead, as we share the faith, understanding that person's obstacle to faith Maybe the way in which we're going to share it is helping them to understand, well, no, the bar isn't set way down here as long as your good outweighs the bad, but rather the bar in regard to righteousness, the standard, is God himself and his perfect righteousness. And so anything short of that is worthy of judgment and eternal punishment and helping them to understand that. But we are going to naturally share the faith in a certain nuanced way that... that certainly has in view what we think someone's obstacle to faith is, it, the obstacle to faith is, and we want to make sure that we understand where people are, where they stand, sort of what their way of thinking is, what their hang-up is toward the gospel, and then make sure that as we share the faith with them, we highlight those issues and address those concerns so that we can be as wise and skillful and as faithful as possible to the Lord as we go out into the world and faithfully proclaim the truth of his word, ultimately for the building up of his kingdom for his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, certainly we want to first just thank you and, and celebrate you. and What a glorious God you are and what a glorious Savior to love us enough to come and, and die for lowly, sinful, wretched us. It, it blows my mind and I hope everyone else's. What glorious love and we thank you for coming. We thank you for taking our place, taking our punishment, our sin, our punishment, the wrath of God for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to you, have fellowship with you, belong to you, become your children, Heavenly Father, and have in store for us a truly glorious inheritance, everlasting life. And we thank you and praise you for it. Lord, for anyone here who hasn't yet come to faith, and maybe they're seeking after you, but there's just that, that little obstacle to faith, that hang-up. I pray that you would help them to reconsider, reevaluate, just tear down that wall, that obstacle to faith, bring about true saving faith, and lead that person into your kingdom. And for those of us who've already come to faith, may we be faithful witnesses. All too often, maybe we share the faith in such a way that it's just some stock gospel presentation, the same every time. 
never considering the person we're sharing with, never bothering to hear what they have to say, what their concerns are, what their issues are. May we be good listeners as we share the faith, and may we share in such a way that highlights that person's concern and obstacle and addresses it faithfully. And then may we just leave the results up to you, and may you use it all for your kingdom, for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.